What's up, Fight Fan? You're listening to MMA Daily, the podcast where we bring you the latest in the world of mixed martial arts. This week's episode, the UFC 250 preview. My name is Gabriel Gonzalez. You can find me on social media at Double G on TV. It is Tuesday, June 2nd, 2020, if you guys are still observing the calendar. And I am here with my co-host, Natalie Zamudio. Hello, Double G. I, uh, I think we're in a nice group here. Another UFC fight to look forward to. This is exciting. <laughs> this is exciting. As someone told me it's June, and I was like, are you sure? <laughs> I mean, do we still observe the days of the week, the months, the numbers? I it's really don't know 2020. anymore. 2020. We're just floating through 2020. Uh, I agree with that statement. And I will say this, you know, like, I am aware this week a lot of stuff was supposed to be getting back to normal. And if yeah. anything, it feels, uh, you know, for want of a... To keep it light, it feels like we are taking a step closer toward the purge. Um, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, uh, I'm very aware, you know, I, and I'll say this, Natalie, it's very sad that I believe, I'll say for the third time this year, we are having an event so horrible that it supersedes the entire point of our show, which is to have a nice conversation about MMA and share it with people. Um, I'm aware of everything going on. Uh, just want to say best wishes to everybody to stay safe. Um, very saddened by events. Um, to want justice and then to see people taking advantage of people trying to stand up and make a statement that things need to change in our community and they're taking advantage of that to do more harm and it just very saddens me. So I just want to take the top of the show to say, guys, we're going to bring you some fun, but you know, just my best wishes to everybody and, you know, I stand with justice and I stand for doing the right thing and I just want to send that support to everybody. Yeah, man, that's well said. I, I couldn't add anything to that. It's It sums up the sentiment perfectly. Yeah, so guys, best wishes. Um, I know for myself, I've probably had enough nightly news for a very long time. So guys, let's go ahead and have some fun. Tune out the rest of the noise for a little bit today. Let's talk about last Saturday's fights. The UFC returns to the apex. Natalie, a few observations before we talk about Gilbert Burns' awesome performance. They did that thing, for example, where just like on TV, they give the main event treatment. The lights go down. They do the light show with the special colors for the main event. I feel like the connection wasn't there without fans for that. Like when Tyron Woodley came out and, you know, I know they were trying to create that effect, but I'll be honest, I just didn't feel it on uh, Saturday's broadcast. Did you feel the same? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, it's hard. I'll, I will say this, though. I was excited to see them back in the apex, like when I tuned in. You know, just the look. They, they can control the lighting better. That's a very specific, like, UFC look. So that delighted me. And, um, you know, we're home and we have a home now for a while. So I'm happy for that. Yes, it, it's, it's impossible to, to give fans watching from home that same energy, that same feeling. But I appreciate that they're sticking to the script, if you will, um, of, of what a regular fight would have looked like as much as possible. So I ain't mad at it, but, but yeah, it's not, uh, it's not quite hyping up the, uh, 
hyping me up like like it would have if there were fans roaring and you know the impact is is lost but still appreciated the effort no i i get what you're saying i i I definitely do i will say this i think that there was just a general ease i think that at you know behind the scenes they just control so much more the environment that it feels more comfortable then as a building you know the apex uh, in Look, not everybody's gone through Contender Series or The Ultimate Fighter in the smaller just, you know, studio, that smaller building and facility that they have. But the Apex doesn't have thousands and thousands of empty seats. So I think that the effect is a little lessened because even some of them said, no, it wasn't full even by Apex standards, but... You know, it didn't feel as maybe drastic as, you know, you're in the big arena in Brasilia and Jacksonville and things feel different. So I will say that. I think that that really showed in the way guys and girls showed up on Saturday. Um, The main event, Tyron Woodley against Gilbert Burns. Uh, To talk about a breakdown real quick. One, very impressed by Gilbert. I think he executed a fantastic game plan, high volume. You could see, for a guy who was at lightweight, his power looked solid against a very explosive, very strong welterweight in Woodley. Um, but besides that, I think that he just executed a great game plan. The spurts that Tyron had trying to get back at him, really just tried to uncork some big power at him. I felt like Burns just took everything well. He defended everything well. He, I really never felt like he was in a horrible position. Even when he was exchanging, I felt like he was the one leading the dance for that virtually the entire fight. And, you know, I know we'll obviously talk about how much was a Tyron, how much was a Gilbert. But, you know, credit where it's due. He executed a fantastic game plan, used a great set of weapons to control a very savvy veteran in Tyron Woodley for 25 minutes. Yeah, man, Burns was was really impressive. He was definitely in the driver's seat. What I noticed from the beginning is his fearlessness. Like he just charged forward and, and he was just attacking uh, Woodley with whatever strike he felt like doing or clinch or pressure, whatever. And it was just almost like there was like a smile there, you know, not it wasn't obvious, but like there was just this comfort, this confidence that he had. He was not afraid of Tyron Woodley for a second. And you could see that. And I think Woodley must have felt that, too. There were those instances where he would get hit with something and he would, you know, punch his hands together, clasp his hands together, like to try and psych himself up, like, let's go, Woodley, let's go. You know, that was interesting to see. And after the fact, he says, you know, even though I got my ass beat, I I didn't feel like I was out of the fight, like in the Usman fight. Okay, that's true. His eyes didn't look as lost, but he didn't really have any answers for Gilbert's pressure and could just never get any real offense going. So it was a... It was a shocking performance, I would say, from Woodley. I think everyone was sort of stunned that he wasn't able to do much at all. Like you would think, okay, 15 months off, you know, you've had this training in Thailand that you know you feel energized by, and the I think it's fair to say embarrassing performance against Usman. So I was expecting a fired up Tyron Woodley, and maybe in his mind he was, but Burns just never let him, never let him get going. I guess is how it looked from from the outside. No, and, and Burns owned him. So, yeah, it was a very impressive performance by Burns. And, you know, Tyron's 38, but he seems he seems okay, like, you know, mentally. So 
It's not the last we've seen of him for sure. I want to address a couple of factors. I, I agree with um, you know, what you're saying. I think that for one, at least maybe from the outside a little bit, I think that initial knockdown, really, what is it, under a minute in the first mm-hmm. round? Yeah. That might have had a very just shock factor on Woodley. He had a big cut. The cut man did fantastic. But, you know, that's, you know, that's like, you know, it's very hard to take that and then just come back with full momentum. Not to say that Tyron, you know, didn't, but I can't help but think was maybe a little bit of that playing into it. I mean, you've been out a while, you immediately get behind on the scorecards and just everything else. You've taken heavy damage like this. Maybe you're thinking about the cut. Now, this is just speculation, but I felt like that was worth noting. Um, One thing that has been, you know, People don't talk about it a lot, and I think that that's one of the reasons why Tyron never gets the, you know, they never seem to put him higher on the pound-for-pound list even when he was winning, is that the subtleties, when he's getting backed up against the fence, we've seen that happen actually a lot of fights. The Wonderboy Thompson fights come to mind, bit with Darren Till. Um, With uh, Damian Maya, he was a little more of the, um, he controlled more of the center, but one of the things that you've seen happen a lot is when he gets backed up to the fence, a lot of guys don't keep coming at him with that volume because of that power. And we've seen him do heavy damage. Darren Till comes to mind. He really hurt Wonderboy. I think that was I think it was against the fence where he had that big shot that knocked him down in the epic first fight. Yeah. Um that, you know, he's my point is he's gotten into that position in the past. And you know what, because of his power and just really his IQ, his ability to make the read and counter, he hasn't really struggled from there. Against Usman, it happened more um, this Saturday. And, you know, whether it's just a style thing, you know, give the guys credit. Usman is a very smart fighter and he has got a great striking coach who's maybe told him how to figure him out in that position. Gilbert Burns watched the tape, figured it out. Uh, I do feel like that's a little bit of it. I think that um, it wasn't a, that he was in a position that was bad, but maybe it's a position that in the past he's been able to take advantage of and just these guys did not give him those openings that he had in the past. Yeah, absolutely. That that totally makes sense. Um, but, but it was still, I mean, it was still surprising, right? It was still shocking to see. At least, I guess it's, that's the main takeaway for me. I couldn't shake that. I do feel like at a certain point, you feel like you wanted him to go to plan B, take the center and, you know, a sense of urgency. That's what I call it. When you're behind and you're still kind of looking to counter, I feel like that's a very dangerous spot to be in. Now, that's me not in the cage taking the punches. But if we're talking about winning and you're behind on the scorecards, you know, you're very aware of what needs to happen. Otherwise, you know, the game you're playing is a very dangerous one to hope that opening comes in a counter. Sometimes you've got to force the issue a little bit. You know, it's very tough. I do think Tyron is still very, you know, he's still there in the rankings. Uh, I wouldn't say um, he's on the short list anymore, but I do think he's still there for the marquee names. Colby Covington is still out there. Ponzinibbio, Leon Edwards, which, of course, you know, that aside, Gilbert Burns. You got to give him somebody, Natalie. What? Who are you giving him? At the end of the day, next. Well, 
keepers, his performance was exciting, but his, you know, when you look at the personalities at welterweight, Colby, Jorge, even Leon Edwards has a little bit, you know, flash here and there because of his encounter with Masvidal, Usman as well. You know, it's like who I, I always go back to thinking about the the lead up to the fight and which matchup would be best for him as far as you know hype. Not that's not what I'm ultimately looking at, but I feel like that's important too with matchmaking. So I don't know. I mean, okay. Bosvidal still doesn't have anybody, right? But I wouldn't, quote in quotes, waste him on Burns. I would give him Leon Edwards. That's uh, I think that's fair. I want Edwards too. I can understand the Colby fight from a marketing standpoint. My thing about it is, I feel like Colby is a guy that you want to have on the upswing. And right now he's on a down coming off a loss, which is not bad. He is still up there. Um, he gets the right fight or two. He's right there back in the conversation, right? So I do feel that Edwards and Burns, that really does solidify who would be the next in line. It's tough for me to say Leon Edwards should have to fight somebody else. I know he was going to fight Tyron, but now under the circumstances, it's like, really, what are we... I'm aware that it's a high-risk, low-reward fight. I mean, you had a lot to gain from beating Tyron Woodley. He's one of those guys that, conceivably, you could have found yourself fighting if you became champion anyway. Uh Gilbert Burns, because he's now had this emergence in the last three months, which is insane when you think about everything going on, suddenly that's a riskier fight, but completely makes sense. you got to respect what Gilbert has done over the last years so and obviously punctuated it in the last you know since March with Damian Maya and now Woodley I feel that that's the fight to make especially in the welterweight division where honestly I don't see Masvidal or Usman fighting more than twice this year and just you know one calendar wise but two you know Let's say Masvidal wins. He's at that star power where, you know, even our biggest champions, I'm sorry, but this is a fact. Two appearances a year is, you know, kind of a blessing. You know, um, we have a time where, you know, so many of the champions, they might fight once, twice. Uh, So to get that two is a big one or to get more than one is huge for these superstars. Masvidal would be right there. I don't know if I could see him fighting Burns later this year. Usman, you know, just because he's been a one fight a year guy in March, you know, last year and then, or, you know, just throughout the year, it's tough. So I think that Burns versus Edwards just works on the calendar if the timing of everybody goes on the trend that we've seen this year. Sorry, last year. Yeah. Yeah, I got confused. I'm sorry about guys. <laughs> uh, the fact is, uh, Masvidal and Usman, I don't see fighting one more time in 2020 unless it goes perfectly in July, you know, supposedly. Yeah, okay. So we have our fight. Burns Edwards, TBD 2020. Yes, I like <laughs> this. Um, some fun stuff. Billy Quarantillo, he survived the tornado that is Alpha Ginger Spike Carlisle. That was a fun fight. Uh, just outlasted Spike. Um, I, I've seen Spike, Spike fight live twice. I've interviewed him after fights before UFC. 
Um, he really is that dude that um, people are getting excited about. He really is. He goes out there and brings it. But man, I don't know what happened at the end of that first round. I'm sorry, but Spike, that was a bad idea. Thoughts? Yeah. Uh you know, was he just thinking, I got this and, you know, I have two seconds left. I'm just going to walk away. Or did he mistake the clapper or the horn? I don't remember what they used for the end of the round. Very strange. So he's walking away. The fight is not over. And I think if the ref hadn't shouted, the fight's not over or whatever he shouted, I think he might've gotten away unscathed, but the ref called it out. Quarantillo went after him and gave him a nice hook shot from behind and it's fair. It's fair game, man. Protect yourself at all times. I, I don't know if that rule actually applies in MMA like it does in boxing, but come on, man. The fight's not over. The fight's not over. So he had to have been a little bit embarrassed and hurt by that by that punch. But he still came out super strong after, and both both of them had cardio for days. I think Quarantillo outlasted him on that on that front anyway, but Spike was was in there. I, you know, I kind of thought it might have gone to uh, to spike at the end what did you uh, what did you think of all that the uh, the round one and the the decision at the end it was close i think that quarantillo just had a little tiny bit more in the second and definitely a lot more in the third third was yeah. just the one that swung his way i think the protect yourself at all times goes to the fact that like you know guys don't expect me to stop the action at any time if i haven't called it fully be ready that some stuff could go down we're talking about the heat of battle so i think you know it's more as a disclaimer like guys don't expect me to see something and the action stops if i haven't called it it's all fair game right so i think that's why they say it um yeah i was just i don't know if it was just he felt like quarantilla wasn't gonna waste the energy to come at him if he as bisping eloquently put sauntered away <laughs> I think that he just thought, well, you know, I got this and the bell's going to ring and Quarantillo's just going to kind of collect himself rather than use that extra hit of gas to, you know, go after him. And, you know, we saw what happened. I did see Spike post that he was reading a tweet about himself on the big screen. And, well, I'll wow. say this, kind of like Johnny Walker doing the dance. It's just on brand. I'll Super. say that. That's why he was looking at the screen. Wow. I mean, do you do you, man? But I was. I mean, lucky a, a, that as yeah. a non-fighter, I'd never do that. I was no. like, excuse me, I I don't want to die. <laughs> but then again, I'm also that guy would have to be dragged out there by my coaches. So yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah. Um, Mackenzie Dern, uh, Hannah Cyphers was giving it to her at the start. I thought, oh my gosh, we're about to have, you know, it's about to be a rough night, but just that Brazilian jiu-jitsu savvy, she showed that there are levels to it on the ground, and that was just a beautiful submission, beautiful just uh, surviving that first barrage. What were your thoughts? Dude, she was, Hannah Cyphers was totally giving it to Mackenzie Dern. I was like, I was actually, uh, here's what happened is that I didn't watch this fight in order. So I had already been spoiled. The, the, the outcome had already been spoiled. So when I saw that Hannah Cyphers, the way she was going after her, I was like, Oh my goodness, how could this have, what's, what's the outcome going to be here? Um, so Hannah Cyphers was, was on her. Now during her striking has improved a lot and she has heavy hands. 
So when she jabbed Cyphers at the very beginning, she Cyphers felt it. I think that's why she was like, okay, I'm going to go crazy because, you know, I don't want to eat any more of those punches. So I'll, I'll give it to Dern because she has a long reach, heavy hands, and and surprisingly accurate considering she's so new to this striking front compared to how, you know, her jiu-jitsu game, right? So I was impressed with Dern actually um, on the feet. But yeah, Cypher's man, I felt bad for her because she, she had her and then, you know, again, yeah, as you say, levels to this game. So once you get to the to the ground, eesh, good luck. And it didn't quite work out for her. So impressed with both fighters. Um, hopefully we see we see more of Hannah Cyphers because I really like that, like, quiet, quiet, quiet persona. I don't say persona. That's who she is, right? And then she comes out and it's, it's ferocity. So I love that about her, and I love how Mackenzie Dern has improved, and I'm looking forward to see how she how she continues to grow. And her physique looked great. She had some muscle definition. I mean, you know, she's, she's on the rise for sure. Yeah, uh, I think that there's a time when Hannah Cypher clearly becomes shockwave in life and we get to see it on TV. But yeah, Mackenzie really, um, uh, I was just impressed. I know she's been working with the guys at Black House with Brazilian Samurai and them, Mark Pacquiao, who's uh, helped her with this camp. So I, I was just impressed. You could see that she's making strides in her game. I think that, you know, quite bluntly, she grew in her time away. Just, um, and she survived essentially the main weapon which was just going to be an in-your-face barrage from cyphers and she wore it well so i was impressed by that and she used you know that biggest strength of hers which is the jujitsu and i was just very impressed i will say that's probably going to sneak in as a submission of the year you know i think that um we haven't had too many big huge crazy ones in um you know in the main events lately so i feel like that one might sneak in this year is my prediction okay all right um, before we move on to the news, and there's been a lot of it, uh, Kaylin Shukagian just handles business against uh, Antonina Shevchenko. Sorry, Natalie. I know. Um, I was impressed. I think that, um, I'll say this. I almost feel like maybe, I don't want to say deceived, but I think it might have been a little misleading, that explosiveness, because I felt like that was the big thing compared to Valentina's, even if she's not as polished, especially on the ground, was that Antonina's taller, longer, just, you know, there's more pop on her shots because the, you know, there's just so much more runway for her to hit her target. She's taller and longer than Valentina. I felt like that would be a bigger factor than it was in the fight. Instead, Kaylin Chikagian, you know, and I said this last week, very good ground game. I felt like that was going to be her strength. I did not expect it to look as one-sided as it did. Yeah, man, I was stunned. Um, you know, Shevchenko and Tanina still having a little trouble, um, like getting, getting like right in there in the fight. Like it's, she's warming up, taking too long to warm up, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And so she gave Chikagian plenty of time to, to work her, to just own her really like round to round to round. When Antonina finally was able to get some shots off, I think in the third, they looked great. Those jabs, the one-twos, whatever she was throwing, they were hurting Chukagian, not like, you know, making her, you know, see stars or anything, but they were having, making an impression. At that point, it was too late. Um, yeah, I was really surprised that uh, Antonina couldn't do 
more to avoid getting taken down or being held down, but I was impressed that she was able to fend off all the submission attempts because she was in a lot of uh, <laughs> of chokes. Um, I, I can't remember which round, first or second, maybe both. <laughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> and uh, I know it's hard. It was just, it's hard when you see family. Taking yes, out. I'm choking up here. Um, it was hard. It was definitely hard to see because I was just like, "Come on, you know, okay, you you lost the first round pretty badly. Come on, second round, let's go." So. She got a little bit going in the third. It wasn't enough, but Shukagian just owned her. Great performance. I think Michael Bisping pointed it out. She clearly was taking out her her aggression from losing to, Shev, to Shevchenko Valentina on Shevchenko Antonina. Uh, she paid the price. Older sister paid the price there big time. She has said, and I know she's very genuine, that it wasn't about Shevchenko revenge, but I almost, you know, you can't help, like, I think it's because it's speaking to the pettiness in all of us that she was saying, like, at the end of the round, you know, and I, I'm i not saying she said this, but it's like, we imagine her being like, hey, make sure you tell your big sister this was her fault, and then just lets her walk off. I, I get it. We all want that narrative because we just, you know, we're salty about stuff when it happens. I get it. But, um, no, Chikagin was good about it. I'll say this. I like the idea of her taking on the uh, Jessica I Calvillo winner next week. I think that that could be a good fight for the rankings. Um, I don't know what will happen. Uh, I guess we're waiting to see what's up with Valentina and Jojo Calderwood. I feel like that's going to headline Fight Island coming to you soon. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think the I Calvillo winner, especially Calvillo because it would be a new fight, I think. So I think that would be good. Yeah, I think so. But, but before you move on, one question. Do you think Valentina not being in the corner affected Antonina to such a degree that she had the performance that we saw on Saturday? Oof. You know what? I would say no. I don't think that Valentina was going to, you know, I don't think any cornerman outside of your head coach, and I understand Valentina has a lot of knowledge to provide, but I don't think one more person could swing the pendulum quite so drastically in a fight like that personally okay fair enough now mind you i would feel if i were shevchenko's sister i would feel a lot better about having valentina there i'd feel like that's my second brain i think that's their relationship which is special but yeah i you know i think that this was chukagin's night and i don't think uh valentina there or not there was going to change that okay all right fair enough yeah um natalie this next guy for someone who has not fought in a minute, he certainly has dominated the conversation. I think that it's turning... He's starting to challenge my Chris Cyborg rule, if you remember uh, late last year. You know, he has a whole segment. Mr. John oh, Jones. Yes, yes, that's right. Yes, I know. It's like every week we had a Chris Cyborg segment <laughs> that I felt talked about the same things. Yep. We're going to talk about... It. We're going to revisit a bunch, but um, uh, for one... I, I I understand there's a lot of, you know, we say it like it is. We see the news. We see the headlines. We see the videos. I was very impressed with John Jones getting out there and taking initiative in his community this week. I want to point that out and say that like it is. I think that was a good sign. I think it sent a good message. Um, outside of that, John Jones versus the UFC. I am glad that he is helping the people of Albuquerque because I do think the people of the Octagon... There might be some friction, to say the least. Um, so to recap, if you guys, uh, you know, just 
haven't followed the story. John Jones, since the Francis Ngannou negotiations fell apart, there's been a lot of back and forth. Essentially, he said that the UFC never came to him to the table to negotiate money. They just wanted to keep him at his pay that he already has rather than pay him more to move up to heavyweight for Francis. Dana White said that's not true, that John Jones was asking for Deontay Wilder type money. Deontay Wilder made 30 plus million to fight Tyson Fury this year. Uh, John Jones saying, Dana, why are you lying? And Dana's essentially saying, I've got the receipts. John Jones is saying, there are no text messages, there are no receipts. It has been a definition, he said, he said, uh, situation. What are your thoughts, Natalie? Oh boy, well, my, I was actually surprised that, that, that John came out right away. Like it's, it almost seemed like he hung up the phone and started tweeting um, his disbelief at the UFC, not wanting to off to not willing to pay him more money. I got that impression too. Yeah. So I was like, okay, um, you really feel strongly about this. That's great. Um, what's interesting is at some point later on, he tweets that he didn't even um, present a specific number, request a specific number to the UFC, which seems kind of strange, but maybe it's a negotiating tactic, right? You don't want to give a number and undervalue yourself um, in the hopes that, that the UFC might have come out with a higher number to move you up to fight Francis Ngannou. Okay, so if you didn't even give a number, then where does this Deontay Wilder notion of Deontay Wilder money come from? So now you're asking yourself, in the history of UFC, who is more believable, John Jones or Dana White? Whose word do you take? I don't know, man. <laughs> I'm just like, the truth is probably somewhere in the middle. Um, but I will say this, it's not a, it's no secret. The UFC, MMA in general, fighters are miserably underpaid, especially the big stars. Conor McGregor and Ronda Rousey are probably the only ones that managed to really, really, really get that money for being, and, and fairly so, the most famous MMA fighters of all time to this point, right, as far as mainstream goes. So John Jones wanting more money, any MMA fighter with value wanting more money, I'm totally on board with that. When you think about, you know, what they're doing in the cage and what boxers get paid, like there's the, the pay is so vast. It's the, you know, so disparate. So they definitely deserve way more money than they're getting. But the problem is that if you keep playing in the UFC's game, and you go fight by fight by fight, and you you just take what they give you. You take what's in your contract. Then all of a sudden, you want to ask for more. I mean, you literally have to be Conor McGregor to get that. As famous as John Jones is, he doesn't have that kind of that kind of value. And uh, you know that that that's that's that as far as why the UFC isn't willing to budge. I do like that Jones is willing to walk away. I believe him. Do you believe him? Um, not entirely, and I'll explain why. Um, I think, uh, for one, um, I've heard a lot of metaphors, uh, to describe it. Uh, John Jones playing chicken with the UFC, uh, Chill had it well. He said John Jones did the move backwards. You're supposed to get the fans to almost negotiate for you to yeah. make the UFC want to put on the fight. Uh, and I agreed with all of them. 
Um, I think that uh, what is the truth? You know, both of them pointing fingers. I do think that it is, um, you know, a desire for more money at some point that is just not being met. How much is it? Deontay Wilder, not Deontay Wilder money? I don't know. That one I couldn't tell you and couldn't begin to speculate what it would be and the way these contracts are tiered, structured, pick an adjective. You know, I I couldn't begin to tell you, especially with a star like John Jones um, uh, at his level who's been at the top of the game and probably renegotiated his few deals a few times. I will say this is that when I look at the situation from the outside, I acknowledge that really... Every fight, similar to Floyd Mayweather, and I'll explain how, every fight is a risky one, pretty much, for John Jones now. And, you know, and not to go down the whole track again, but Dominic Reyes, that is very high risk, low reward. Dominic's the one with everything to gain in a rematch, not John. Jan Blahovich, he gets to slay Goliath at light heavyweight. Not that he's not dangerous, but he's not you know, like the many stars of yesteryear that John went through during mm-hmm. his run, right? So, yes, I, I do think Jan Blahovich, mind you, I, I think that he brings it. I think that's a great fight, but I acknowledge his name value compared to previous John opponents. Now, at heavyweight, okay, you know, I, I've said this uh, pr- simply, the Francis Ngannou fight, I think that that's your next, it's a good option. Why? The wrestling, I think he believes he can stay away from the power and take and hold down Francis, which is, you know, obviously, you know, that's his Achilles heel, right? You you know, you survive the power, you got to be able to hold him down and wear him down. Remember that Stipe Miocic is off the board, right? He's just, uh, every impression I've been given is that they are still locked in to having Stipe fight DC. I personally, if John's going to finally move up, just make it for all the marbles straight up. Have him fight Stipe right now. But, uh, you know, I get it. They're sticking to the DC trilogy. Um, I think they see it as you can use John and make millions. You can have the DC Stipe trilogy and have another big gate. But if you put them both together, you take another big event off the board. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So I do think that that's a bit of the reasoning behind trying to make the Francis fight happen as opposed to waiting for Stipe. But look, you know, once again, every fight is tough for John Jones. Every fight now is about, you know, can he retire undefeated at this point, right? He's just been on such an impressive run. Um, So when you have all of that, yes, of course, John Jones is going to ask for more money. You know, the Question becomes now, like, if you're you, if you're John Jones, you're asking me at every point, I'm putting it all at risk. Because either way, I'm getting upset, right? You know, like, I risk my GOAT status, you know, against Stipe. You know, which shouldn't be that way because it's a different weight class, but you get what I mean. I'm risking my status if I lose to Dominic, lose to Jan. Um, maybe Francis Ngannou feels less, you know... I don't know why it would feel, but I guess that's the impression that's being given out. So I understand that from John Jones' point of view, but then you go back to it. UFC's job is to put on fights. And if you're a fighter for the UFC, part of that is, hey, they're going to call your number and ask you to step into action if you're ready to go. 
And so I think that's where the disconnect at the end of the day is coming from. Um, obviously, everyone wants to make the most money. And, you know, there's a lot of negotiating that happens. Yeah, man, I hear you. I, I would just say if I'm just looking at MMA and how it is, like, nobody walks away undefeated. The, who Khabib is the only one right now. Yeah, okay, John Jones. But like, Don't knock on wood. Hey, knock on wood on Habib. <laughs> <laughs> if you're too precious about it, I think if you're too precious about your undefeated status, like, man, it just comes back to bite you in the butt. Ronda Rousey, even Tyron Woodley, right? I want to retire undefeated. I want to retire undefeated. And, uh, you know, DC, I don't think he was precious about it. He was, you know, wanted to maintain it, but he was willing to go out there and fight. Um, I think, I would, not I think, I would just like to see John Jones be willing to put a little more on the line. Obviously, I'm a random woman from L.A. who has never fought. So what does it matter what I think? But uh, uh, to me, his legacy is not the same if he just walks away and and never really gets um, tested in the heavyweight division only because he's the one that kept talking about it. That that's where I where I end up. It's like you're the one that kept bringing it up. You're the one that wanted to fight Brock. You're the one that wanted to fight Stipe, and then Francis. And it's like, oh, okay, well, you know, this whole time you were only willing to do it if the UFC paid you extra. That's fair. That's totally fine. It makes sense. They should be paying you more in general. But then it's kind of a little bit like crying wolf, right? So don't be precious about your undefeated status. That's that's my final word. <laughs> gotcha. I will say this. I think that um, at the end of the day, John Jones will return. I think that, um, you know, to, uh, I guess, for the casual fan who think this may be possible, he's not about to go to Bellator. If they were to release him tomorrow, he would not be fighting in Bellator next month, guys. He'd, UFC would, it's almost like a, how do I put it? There's almost like a non-competition clause i think if you were a guy like john jones and you tried to walk away they would not let you step into the cage for anybody else under a real official fight until you were past the age where you'd be relevant i think that's they would have that in place so i don't think there's yeah, a walking away thing i think at the end of the day they're gonna do the yawn fight and they'll be like look we'll meet us here and yeah, I still am not convinced he's going to heavyweight. I, I've said this. It's like LeBron with the dunk contest. I think the super fight is Adesanya next year. I do believe that. I think that's what they'll do. John holds the cards there more so than if he goes up to heavyweight to fight Stipe. Anyway, that was quite a long one, but I, quite, the, quite the situation playing out before our eyes with John in the UFC. Uh, on the topic of Francis Ngannou, he was going to do the press conference with uh, Dylan White, a boxing promoted by Eddie Hearn, Matchroom. That got canceled, but then Francis Ngannou, he's up there with uh, the new golden boy, Ryan Garcia. Uh, Dana White said he's not interested in doing a big crossover fight, but it looks like Ngannou, dare I say it, he is turning into Adesanya. He's the man of the moment with all these options. It's kind of fun to watch. Uh, you know what? My my feeling on Francis Ngannou going to, to, to compete in a boxing-only tournament or match is like, nah, please no. I don't want to see that. <laughs> he's not, I don't think he's there yet. He's a specimen. He's a, he's a really impressive mixed martial artist. 
because we've seen him grow so much. He's imposing. He's really fast and weirdly creative with the striking. Like he can catch you on off moments. But no, I have no interest in seeing him box. And I don't think he's a big enough name to really generate a lot of interest in the boxing world. He can get some interest depending on who they would, you know, hypothetically match him up with and who else was on the card. But no, this this is not a even close to being a, a McGregor Mayweather type scenario. And so that's easy. It's easy. It's an easy one for Dana White to shut down. I, I have no interest, frankly, as much as I love Francis Gunn. I'm going to have to be the angel on the other shoulder. I'm, I'm here for it. I would say that, you know what? At this rate, who knows when Stipe and DC may fight. I don't think Francis should fight somebody else. If you can make bank just throwing hands, go for it. Um, I'll say this, uh, you know, with all respect to uh, Dylan White, not Dana White, you know, in this situation, um, let me get... Um, Anthony Joshua, Tyson Fury, undercard. How about Deontay Wilder uh, stand and bang with Francis? I'm sorry, what? but why not? Let's Deontay just give, Wilder? Give me that damage. Just watch those two big guys just try to, you know, land the dynamite first. I that could be interesting, be- right? Because Wilder's not like, like he's amazing power puncher, right? But his boxing skills leave something to be desired. So maybe on that level, he's not so far away from Ngannou or Ngannou's not so far away from him. You're just talking like straight up boxing skills. I don't yeah, know. Just saying. Could be I fun. Would, I would watch uh, it. I ain't going I, I, to change the channel. I'll say this. I, he's waiting a while for Stipe in DC. And I respect that he's trying to take advantage of the momentum he's got right now. I'll, he's in a situation himself. Yeah, man, he's kind of getting screwed big time. Yeah, just, uh, I get it. It's hard to wait, especially when you know you're in your prime and the, the iron is hot right now for Francis. All right, let's move on. Uh, this one, real quick, uh, Peter Jan, Jose Aldo's official. I think it's going to be Fight Island, personally, in July, but what do you think? No location given, but they're making this official, Aldo Jan, for the title at Bantamweight. Officially, yeah, I mean, Triple C no longer has his C's. He doesn't. His uh, his little picture has been removed from the uh, UFC rankings, and it's just uh, it's just blank in in two different uh, divisions, right? Well, but he's he's partially the reason why it's blank in the flyweight division. Sort of like um, uh, one 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 removed from oh, yeah. from why it's blank. Yeah, gotcha. Um, but um, yeah. Okay, I'm fine with this. You know how I feel about Jose Aldo getting title shots at 135, but obviously I'm the only person that feels that way, and the UFC is going to do whatever they need to do, and you wisely pointed out that he's a name, and if you need to get eyeballs on your pay-per-view, then you put Aldo on there, and it doesn't matter who's which belt he's fighting for, you're going to get people. So, okay, fine. Give him a gosh darn title fight. And uh, yeah, July, Fight Island, that seems to be lining up. Because it's if it's already confirmed, like it's not going to be too far away, right? It's it presumably quite close. So this is great. This is great news as far as there being a, a an outline of the beginnings of a of a card for Fight Island. I'm excited for, in that regard. Yeah, I'll say this. I think if you're Peter Jan, you want to fight Aldo anyway. I mean, win the title, beating him. The way he sees it, you know, if I'm Peter Jan. I'm going in there thinking I'm going to beat Jose Aldo. And then 
Give me whoever you want. Give me Aljamain. Give me Marlon Moraes. Whoever. I think that, you know, that's got to be his mentality. Now, if he starts saying he wants Alexander Volkanovsky after he beats Aldo for the title, then I might, um, you know, might say, uh, Mr. Jan, I think you're going to have to take a couple steps back. Do not pass go. Do not collect 200. But I think if you're Jan, why not? You want a big fight. And look, everyone's going to get some, I think, whether Aldo wins or Jan. And I understand the frustration, though, the pay-per-view. You get it. You feel like you've done the work. It's time to book that fight and you've got to wait one more. And we're going to talk about a bunch of them in just a minute. Uh, before we move on from Fight Island and all these other international fights, I want to bring up, you know, Mr. Conor McGregor. He's trying to find somebody to go to the dance with him. He is having trouble finding a date to the prom. And he's trying to ask the, the, king, the, the prom king of yesteryear. Anderson, the Spider Silva. Anderson calling him out, 176. Connor is saying he agrees. Natalie, I'm just going to tell you this right now. Of all the opponents who could not hurt Connor's stock if they beat him, Anderson is one of the best options. Because really, if he loses, he lost to a middleweight who's fought at light heavyweight. For crying out loud, you're a former featherweight. I don't think that Connor fighting Anderson, regardless of the outcome, would hurt his stock to fight a Jorge, Kamar Usman, Justin Gaethje, or Habib Nurmagomedov down the line. So if Connor is intent on fighting and not sitting out and waiting for a long time, I like it. Dude, I like it too, man. When I saw these tweets going back and forth, when I saw Connor write, I accept, I was like, I am all in. Your point is 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 perfectly perfectly put. It doesn't hurt his stock one bit. Both of these guys, you know, Silva's. First of all, can he make the weight? I mean, that's a big I guess question. He, if he, yeah, good question. But you know, he he put the number out there, so presumably even at his age, he can do it. And um, you know, they both make a heck ton of money. It would be amazing for fans to see Silva again, fighting someone like Connor, these great personalities. It's the kind of fight you would only see in, you know, the video game UFC 3 or whatever. And now we have a potential of seeing it in person. I really, really, really hope that Connor McGregor got on the phone to Dana White and said, book this fight. I need to fight somebody. Let's go. And you're right. Again, it does not hurt his stock one bit. It gets him back out there. The UFC makes a ton of money. They don't get the gate, though, because the gate of Silva McGregor would be outrageous, I bet. But oh, for they, sure, yeah, of course. But they still get the pay per view, and uh, hey, man, wouldn't it be great if they just put this on regular ESPN with enough lead up to get proper advertising for ESPN to get proper advertising? That would be amazing. I have, but, I have dreams too, Natalie. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I I have dreams too. That is my uh, answer to that. Yeah, of course, oh, that case, would be beautiful. That would be beautiful. But you I would know, have everybody to my house. I wouldn't even care about catching the Rona. <laughs> Right. Hey, everybody, masks off. Let's watch this fight. Um, yeah. Before anyway, we move on to UF, UFC 250, before we move on, uh, you mentioned UFC 3. I think Fight Island needs to be some DLC, like, you know, fight at Madison Square Garden, fight at T-Mobile Arena. They got to have fight on Fight Island. Like, they got to offer that if they're doing this. I'm just they kidding. do, and, and they should might as well add the Apex in there, unless it's already there, <laughs> and I just don't know. That's... I haven't played yet. I would, I Either. 
I don't know. I'm thinking about Final Fantasy, that big one that they keep playing the commercial every time I turn on the TV. Final anyway, Fantasy 777? How many are there of those? <laughs> they're remaking the classic one that made their rep. But we're not going to get yeah. sidetracked today. That keeps happening at this point of the show every week. Okay. Not today. UFC 250, this Saturday, Amanda Nunes taking on Felicia Spencer. Amanda has now won the featherweight title, gone back, defended the bantamweight title twice. Now she's coming back to 145 to take on the top contender, Felicia Spencer. Very straightforward, Natalie. Do you think that, you know, Felicia can either A, wear down Amanda and tire her out to take, uh, you know, to be the more active fighter and win the later rounds? Or, or, or plus, do you think that Felicia can succeed in getting Amanda to the ground and doing the damage she needs and control the fight? I don't think she can wear her down. I think she has great cardio. I think she has a good chin. Not great cardio. I think she has solid cardio and a good chin. I rewatched the Cyborg fight. She was getting a little tired at the end there. Um, but but she took a lot of shots from Cyborg. Now, you saw Cyborg Nunes, so you know that, you know, if you do the math, MMA math, Nunes punches harder than Cyborg, right? Because she knocked out, she knocked Chris out. So can Spencer take a Nunes punch? I think so. She's She's pretty solidly built. So I think she can stay in there cardio-wise. I think if she manages to take Nunez down, she can do some. Mm, she can win some. She can get some points. She can land some shots. I don't know how much she could hurt her. Um, I think Nunez is just too special. Her striking, long, rangy punches that fire out like a like a whip, really do damage. That's going to be the, the the difference here: is the the power in the hands, the speed, and the accuracy. But Spencer's game, man. She's gutsy. She's game. And and again, she has she has cardio. But we're also talking about UFC in a different time right now where camps are compromised. People aren't getting the same training as they might have been. So that's always sort of lingering in the background. But so far, considering how many cards we've had since this since the UFC has returned, I'd say people have really shown up in their fights. I think these these fighters will too. Yeah, I think uh, to Amanda's credit, or actually, well, for Felicia's credit, Amanda has not fought a fighter like her in a minute. I think that um, e- even with Misha Tate, I think that Misha, you know, you could argue is not as physically powerful as uh, mm-hmm. Fel- um, Felicia in terms of just straight trying to grapple you and use her, you know, just get on top position. You know what I mean? Misha Tate kind of was well-rounded uses a jack-of-all-trades kind of approach to her fights. Um, Kat Zingano, you know, I think is the closest. And she, you know, I think that Felicia is a slightly better grappler than Kat. But I think the fact is just physicality, really just make it gritty, wear her down, get on top of her. That's what Felicia's trying to do. We've seen this work, is my point. Now, Amanda has looked fantastic, taking on a lot of talented people. But this is someone who's going to try to employ the strategy we've seen before. And I think that Felicia has a lot of the tools that if she's going to be able to pull it off, she has everything necessary to do so. Which I wouldn't say of, let's say, Valentina Shevchenko. Great on the ground, all of this, I wouldn't say could use her physicality to take down Amanda. So Felicia has that advantage there. That being said, you're kind of saying Amanda has not you know, closed up that hole in her game since that fight several years ago now. 
I have to imagine, especially working with someone like Kayla Harrison at ATT, that that has to have been something they've worked on for the camp. That I would imagine the game plan, avoid the clinch, let it rip with some kicks, and just try to make this an ugly fight in the middle of the cage. Also, before, if you remember for the cyborg fight, Amanda said, oh, I need to put on muscle, I need to work on it. I feel like that hasn't really been the case. Now, she may have known that she's going to move up to 145 since she beat Jermaine in December, in which case anything goes. But the impression I get is that maybe she's looking to be a little leaner at 145 this time around. That could be a very interesting factor, but she has the striking. I do think in just if she gets on top of Felicia, I think that she could do what she needs to. She's a great grappler herself. This really depends on avoiding those takedowns. It's going to be tough, but I do think that Felicia, this is a closer fight, especially the second they hit the clinch. I think that's what's going to really define this fight. I'm going to go ahead and get my pick now, though. I think Amanda is not going to find herself in a position. She's going to, you know, work on sprawling, get back up if she gets taken down. Don't let Felicia wear you down that way. Amanda Nunes, unanimous decision. Well, well, well. <laughs> we're, uh, what have we here? We're on the same page uh, as far as the, uh, the, the result. I think it's going to be Amanda Nunes by decision. I actually sort of anticipate a, a little bit of a bloody fight. Mm, you know, they're going to test each other against the cage and on, on, on the canvas, but I think they're going to kind of try and, and, and and settle this with their fists. So I think we're going to have some some back and forth. Nunes is going to obviously have a mega advantage there. So Spencer will be trying to at least not get super damaged, super hurt by those punches. She's good. She's evasive. She's you know she's still learning. She's not amazing, but she's 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 a strong MMA fighter. So and she's smart. That that that's the most important thing. She's a very intelligent fighter. So I think she'll be able to avoid mega damage from Nunes. But I think there's going to be cuts. You saw the cut with Cyborg. I think there's going to be bleeding. But I still think, ultimately, Amanda Nunes will win by decision. There we have it. We're in accordance. Let's move on to the co-main event. Rafael Asuncao, Cody Garbrandt, the return of the former champion. Um, I will say this. I, I think that um, Cody's speed and power still need to be respected. I think that that's just uh, the big question is the athleticism. Is that enough to kind of carry Cody past Rafael, who's been at the top of the Bantamweight rankings for a long time? Um, I will say this. I don't put as much stock into the Pedro Munoz loss. I think that um, Cody is not about to start just throwing down like he did in that fight. I think that He's had and heard enough of that. I do think that he's going to take a more disciplined approach. It's a very close fight. I think that you got to respect that Rafael could try to neutralize a lot of those things Cody likes to do with his grappling. So it's a close one. How do you see it? I do see it as as competitive, uh, but I'm really excited to mostly to watch how Cody Garbrandt returns to the cage. So. Speed and power, speed especially. Will that still be there? When was uh, when was that Munoz fight? I don't that was last March, if I'm not mistaken. Okay, so yeah, basically over a year. 
And he had an injury, right? Yeah, March 19th. He, he got sick. Yeah, like... Yeah. Okay, but so... They, yeah, go ahead. No, 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 please finish. I was going to say, I think it was the kidney stones, something like oh, that, yeah, that pulled him out of the, the... Yeah, he pulled out of the fight before it got cancelled in, um, in a link. No, I can't remember where the March 29th card was, but yeah. He okay. pulled out of that fight before they moved it because of the chaos. Okay, so I was thinking of even earlier than that. Um, further back is I thought he had surgery on on a shoulder or something. Maybe that, um, or his back. Maybe it was his back, his lower back. In any case, I'm excited to see him back. But I always think about T.J. Dillashaw and those two losses, and after the EPO scandal, the suspension. What does Cody Brandt, Cody Garbrandt make of all this? He's probably made his peace with it. He has a kid, you know, and all that stuff. But but you mentioned that he's not going to come. Or you suspect he's not going to come out like the wild man. He'll be more disciplined. That's what we usually would expect after how his last three fights have gone. All losses, losing because essentially lost his temper and just went brawler and, and got caught. But I don't know, man. I feel like just based on the Cody Garbrandt that we knew of, of in the past, I think mentally he's still he's still he's still pissed off about all that stuff. So he can try to be disciplined, but I think he'll want to at some point show off his speech, show off his power, and try to make have an emphatic, you know, return to the top victory. And I think this is the right opponent to do that. I think he'll be able to get away with it. I don't think he'll he'll suffer consequences like he did with Dillashawn Munoz. So so I actually think Garbrandt could win this fight. Um with a TKO. I'm going to go ahead and say TKO round two. I'm going to say the same. I think that he's going to have just a very emphatic return to form. I think that his footwork's going to be back. And I think we're going to see, you know, we're going to get the Cody Garbrandt who is on his way to the title. Just uncork with some good power. And that's a wrap. I think his athleticism is going to carry him past in this fight. All right. So far, we're... Two for two. Uh, yeah. <laughs> How about the last one? Let's see. Aljamain Sterling against Corey Sanhagen. Break it down for me. This is very interesting. I like Corey Sanhagen a lot. He's super smooth, right? The way he moves. He's got great flow to his footwork, to his hands, changing stances. Long and rangy. That's just a, a, a body type that does really well in MMA. Especially if you have other attributes like his creativity. And, and that makes a really uh, dangerous opponent for anybody. He also is a really slick grappler. So this guy, man, you know, he's, he's, a hot, he's been a hot prospect for a while. And, and I think he's, he's just right there ready to, to be next in line for, for a title shot. Assuming... He gets past Aljamain Sterling. Sterling's also super talented. He's fast. He's aggressive. Great grappling. I mean, I, I just rewatched that Cody Stamen fight with that crazy Sula. I can't remember what Suliev submission, whatever that crazy that leg Suleyev submission. stretch. Yeah, man, that's terrible. <laughs> Never want anybody to get me in that. In any case, um, you know, they both have great footwork. But I think Sanhagen is just the smoother, more slick, slicker fighter, more well-rounded, and so I'm, I'm, I'm really excited for this fight because it's important for the division. 
but these are also just two really exciting fighters. I'll wait to give my pick until until after you uh, you complete the breakdown here. <laughs> I think that um, I, I gotta say that Aljamains just look fantastic, and yeah, Corey Sanhagen he, he's knocking on the door for a reason, but Aljo's just you know. He's just got that slick style. He's well-rounded. I know that loss to Marlon Moraes, that'll halt anybody's momentum. But I think that he's bounced back as well as you can. I think that he's grown from it. I think that, um, look, Bantamweight's got some killers. I know that, you know, it feels like it's in flux after losing its last two champions. But honestly, I think that um, he's got a lot of great weapons i like Corey sanhagen's toughness this is not a gimme fight for anybody i'm gonna i'll go first i gotta say i just see aljamain sterling continuing the train i think that he's got eyes on the prize he wants to look good beating sanhagen he's gonna show why he's been you know just at the top longer and i think that he's just gonna pull it off and he's gonna call for peter Jan jose aldo wow do you have a sense of how he'll how he'll uh, get the win? Uh, unanimous decision. Corey Sanhagen ain't going away quietly. Ah, okay. Okay. So we're sort of lined up. I think it's going to end unanimous decision as well, but I'm picking the other guy. I'm picking Corey Sanhagen. I think he's just going to out-touch him. He's such a slick grappler that I don't think he'll get caught in a submission. It's going to get close. I think probably a lot of the fight's going to take place against the cage on the ground. But I think ultimately he's going to out-touch him, out-point him, and uh, he'll get the decision in my, uh, in my view. But I, I will say this before we, before we end it. I'm really looking forward to Matt Sarabine and Aljamain Sterling's corner where you can hear every single thing the corner say <laughs> because he's already loud when there's a crowd. So this is going to be amazing. Oh, gosh. Wait, so are we three for three this weekend? No, because oh, sorry, I'm, picking, I'm picking yeah, Sanhagen for the decision. So we're we're we think the fight will end the same way, but we got different guys. Okay, all right. Well, here we go. We will find out on Saturday. It's going to be a good one. Next week we will have UFC Vegas two. Jessica I, Cynthia Calvillo. This one almost feels like it's coming together late in the game, but I think we're ready for some MMA. We don't care. Let's get it on. Let's go for it. Natalie, where can the fans find you to discuss all of the amazing action? All the amazing action. Find me on Twitter at NatalieZamudio underscore on Instagram at ZamudioRama. And guys, you can find me all the time at Double G on TV. Just spell out the word double and we'll be back next week.